You're listening to your superpowered mind on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that investigates the innate power within your brain to create lasting change. Hello, everyone. Welcome to your superpowered mind. In this show, we explore the process of transformation and give you tools and strategies that you can use to transform your own life. Today, we are going to be talking to Dr. Stephen Hall about how to tune into your inner wisdom to heal. Dr. Stephen Hall started his medical career in 1985 as a family track practitioner and quickly shifted to a focus of helping people heal the root causes of their health and life challenges instead of just diminishing their symptoms. As a practitioner of integral medicine, Dr. Hall has explored many of the world's leading healing traditions and, combined with his medical training, helps patients genuinely heal by returning to their optimal state of health. With a passion to share what he has learned, Dr. Hall is the author of three books, most recently, The Seven Tools of Healing, Unlock Your Inner Wisdom, and Live the Life Your Soul Desires. He also offers classes and many free resources to help patients take better care of themselves. Dr. Hall, welcome to your superpowered mind. Well, thank you, Kristen. I appreciate you having me here. Yes, I'm excited to to pick your brain and share what you know. (laughs) Um, My first question is always, what superpower did you discover as the result of mastering your mind? Sorry, I'm got a, just getting over a little bit cold. I would have to say that um, that what I learned that's helped me the most is uh, self-compassion. And growing up, I was always like my harshest critic, um, just really judging myself, comparing myself to others. And, um, you know, this led to a pretty strong depression when I was a teenager. But, of course, I wouldn't tell anybody about it. <laughs> have to do everything myself, of course, right? right. And um, But over the years, <clears throat> I've really learned to uh, see myself for who I actually am, to accept myself, including all my shortfalls and, and mistakes, and, um, and just be kinder to myself. So <clears throat> I think that's uh, probably the, the most significant change I've seen is I've really learned how to explore my mind and master my mind that's that's beautiful and boy could we all use to learn how to um accept ourselves really wholeheartedly accept ourselves and i i want to go and ask you more about that in a little while but i guess what i would love to first ask is how does this self-compassion relate to the healing work that you do with people with your own clients now? Well, I would have to say, if I was really honest, and that after I've been in practice over 33 years and I've only seen two things actually heal people. And one is surgery when they need it. And the other one is when they start to be, have self-compassion for themselves. And so I really, think that that's a critical component of, of personal healing. And um, 
I, you know, as long as somebody stays really critical and judgmental of themselves, they just don't get to that deep healing that I've witnessed so many times in, in people. Wow. So one of the things that you, you talk about and I've seen is that healing is a transformational process. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm trying to figure out what is healing. That, that, I asked myself that question while I was still a resident. And uh, I was stunned that I didn't know. Because here I was like seven years into my medical training and we'd never talked about what real healing was. Um, we talked about an incision healing or a broken bone healing. But we never talked about a human life healing. And I thought that was ludicrous. So I started searching. And about seven years later, I realized, well, why it was such a hard thing to answer. And, uh, but I finally came to the idea that healing is the process of us finding out who we really are, like in our heart of hearts, and then making life choices that fit that, that fit who we are. And so that's what I started helping my patients do is find out who are you really? You know, underneath your wounds, underneath your abandonments and your betrayals and your uh, limiting conclusions that you've drawn, uh, you know, who are you in your soul? And as people do that searching and, and discover that self-discovery, then so many things in their life start getting better. Oftentimes their body starts functioning better, their relationships work better, they find the careers that, that really nourish them and feed them and just, you know, it just, things just start getting better. So answering that question, who am I really? Who am I? And, and try to go as deep as you can into that question. Um, that's been very helpful for so many of my patients over the years. Wow. And I hope that answers the question. It, it does. It's, it's, um, it, I can see how, Self-discovery helps with relationships and, mm -hmm. and changing the things that you do in your life. But you have seen that this also has an impact on physical health. Correct. Um, yeah, I've seen people get over autoimmune diseases. I've seen, uh, you know, things heal that weren't supposed to heal by conventional medical um, concepts. Um, you know, people get over depression, they get over their anxiety, they uh, get over their addictions. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. And, and it kind of makes sense when you think about the things that, like Bruce Lipton talks about in his book, The Biology of Beliefs, where, you know, what you believe literally determines your biochemistry. And, and Carolyn Mace talks a lot about that, too. What you believe determines your biochemistry. So, so your physical body will change in response to you, you changing your beliefs. It's not, once you understand the mechanism, it's not that much of a mystery. Okay. That is, I very much want to go into that. Um, before we do, um, we do need to take a quick break. Can you let people know, you know, if they want to hear a little bit more about what you're doing and see some of your resources, where would they go? Uh, www the seven tools, the number seven dot com. So the seven tools dot com. 
um, is where most of like the free resources and classes and things are. Great. Hang on, everybody. When we come back, we'll talk some more about how exactly do you tune into your inner wisdom to heal? Hello, everyone. This is Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. And we want to thank each of you for making Superpower Up the number one podcast network for personal development and spiritual growth. Because people like you have the courage to say that mindfulness, healthy living, disrupting reality, the pursuit of consciousness, responsible entrepreneurship, and radical parenting matter. We now amass over 1 million downloads monthly in more than 90 countries. Our numbers keep growing because there are far more people willing to live divergently than mass media wants to acknowledge. For you, the change makers, the light bearers, the way showers, we say thank you. If you're ready to take the next step in your evolution, go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz. And as Neva Lee Rekla, our youngest podcaster, likes to remind us, remember, we all have superpowers and we can change the world. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking to Dr. Stephen Hall. And so before the break, you were saying that it makes sense that that what we believe determines our biological chemistry. And I am actually a psyche practitioner, which is something that is based on uh, Bruce Lipton's work where you're really working with the subconscious beliefs. So I'm somewhat familiar with this, but what kind of beliefs determine our health? I mean, what, what, can you give an example? Okay. Well, so a good example would be, um, so, so your beliefs determine how you interpret your experiences. And, and that's why, you know, politics is so interesting where two people can hear the exact same speech and have completely different reactions to it. And and how you interpret your experience determines how your body's going to respond. So it determines whether or not you secrete cortisol. It determines, um, like, that's why uh, lie detector tests work. You know, it determines your skin resistivity. It, it determines blood circulation to your intestines and your immune function and and so as living beings, we're designed to adapt to our environment. And, and so that's just an expression, you know, that's just that coming through. So, so your inner environment is just as important as your outer environment and you're constantly responding to that. So, um, you know, how you're feeling in the moment really does determine what chemicals your body's making, what neurotransmitters are getting made. Uh, what's going on in your stomach and the in intestines. So, so the physiology of it's pretty worked out as far as like, and the, and the classic example is the stress response, all the things that change in your body once you get stressed. And, um, but whether or not you get stressed is determined by what you believe because one person's stress can be another person's recreation. Right. And I think you're referring to the fact, basically, the physiological response of fear and excitement are essentially the same. It's how you interpret it. Something's happening in your body. You could say, ooh, I'm scared or, ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, but, but if you're excited, you're probably not going to get sick from that. But if you're stressed, you probably will get sick from that eventually. 
So they're not, I don't think they're exactly physiologically the same. Um, you know, we're just not wired to stay stressed and stay healthy. And most of those outer stresses, like life stresses, whether or not, you know, traffic or um, deadlines or, you know, supervisors at work, whatever, most of those things are stressors just because of how we interpret them. And, and we interpret them because of what we believe. And we start forming beliefs, you know, as near as we can tell, we start forming beliefs around the time of conception. And so you're already nine months old by the time you're born. And then you have all those newborn and infant and toddler beliefs in there. You know, so, so most of the beliefs that make up your worldview that determine how you respond to your life were in place by the time you're seven years old. And you're really not going to remember most of those. So that's why they're working in the unconscious part of your mind. So that's why Psych K and, and other things that help you get into that unconscious mind and find out what you actually do believe, why those things are so important and so powerful. Right. That has been my, it is just becoming so, so clear that whatever you believe is what you live out. There's yeah. just no way around it. It's if, well, you know, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, yes. And that's because beliefs have two jobs. And the first job yeah, we just talked about is beliefs are literally the lenses that we peer through to see the world. And so what we think of as reality is basically just um, our interpretation of our sensory input and all that kind of thing. And um, so, so that's one job. They determine how we interpret the world, but more importantly, beliefs also determine what aspects of consciousness we can bring forth as our life. So, so in other words, our beliefs determine what we're able to create. And this has been known for centuries. I mean, Goethe said, man is as he believes, as he believes, so he is. And obviously I think that's true for women too. And it's supposed to be a joke. Yeah, um, I was going to say, <laughs> I was taking notes, but yes, got it. But, um, uh, you know, and, and Henry Ford said, if you think you can, you can, if you think you can't, you're right. So, so yes, what we believe literally has a, and, and since once you believe determines your biochemistry, you can see how your beliefs, um, really determine what's going on in your life. And, um, and I don't think that's a hundred percent because obviously things just happen too. And that always complicates the waters a little bit, muddies the waters. So we're, we're kind of like co-creating together. We're not a hundred percent in charge. I don't believe, I don't think anyway. Um, but we're, we've got more control over our life than we realize generally than, than most of us actually put into practice. Okay. That's important. Okay. So we, if we, a lot of these beliefs though are in our subconscious. Right. So let's say if you have a patient who comes to you 
And let's say they've got chronic stomach issues, you know, or something like that. Where do you start with them? Well, I think of a symptom as a clue that something somewhere in your system is out of balance. And so we want to find that imbalance and get it back into balance. And it turns out the part of you that runs your body knows what that imbalance is. And it's actually detected the imbalance and sort of created the symptom as a way of setting off the alarms to get your attention. So if we can learn how to talk to that part of us that runs our body and that knows, we can find the imbalance. And then generally that part also knows what it would accept as a rebalance, you know, putting things back into balance. So, um, so a good example, you mentioned Crohn's disease. Um, that's actually one of the diseases that got me looking into alternative medicine in the first place, because back in the eighties, conventional medicine had no good treatment for it, but I started meeting people who had cured their own Crohn's disease by changing their diets, which is something we'd never talked about in medical right. school. Yeah. So, um, so a lot of times, you know, Crohn's is that, that there's foods in your diet that you're reacting to. And if you find those foods and stop the reactions, the immune system can calm down. So that's actually a pretty straightforward issue. Um, but then if you start looking at, well, why am I reacting to those foods? You know, cause not everybody does. So why am I doing it? Then you can get more personal into it and, and understand, well, what beliefs do I hold that's, allowing that reactivity to express itself in my life. And, you know, things we see are beliefs that the world is this scary, poisonous place. And I always have to be on guard and, you know, things along those lines. And then once we uncover the belief, then we can say, well, you know, what would your heart say about that belief? Or what would your own deep inner wisdom say about that belief? Or, you know, and if they're a religious person, you could say, what would God say about that belief? So that usually, that kind of question will then help them align their personal belief with what I call higher truth. And then they can put that new higher truth belief back into their unconscious mind. And it becomes a new lens that they peer through to see the world. And it starts allowing new kinds of consciousness through into their life. So that's kind of how I work with it. Yeah. That actually makes sense. So, (laughs) don't you love that? Yeah, thank you. You got validation from me. (laughs) I I always like to pull things apart. And I'm a little bit cynical and I want, you know, I, I want to understand, you know, how things work. So I love this. So, so there's this idea. So we have beliefs. And so you were some of these beliefs that might lead to people being reactive to food, to their mm-hmm. system reacting is that there are things in the world that are bad for me, or the world is unsafe, or mm-hmm. I need to... Mm-hmm maybe hold myself and protect myself against things in the world. Is that right? That's right. And, and obviously there's some truth to that. Right. You know, there are things that are unsafe or, you know, 
there's a lot of toxins and poisons. But the key is when you start thinking about that, like how many pesticides are there? How many EMFs? How many, you know, you start thinking about that. Well, how do you feel in your body? Pretty weakening, isn't it? It's like, uh, and, but the key is we're not victims. We're not even victims of our environment. And I have not ever seen anybody heal, deeply heal, like we're talking about, like coming into their full power and remain a victim at the same time. They just don't fit together in the same body at the same time. Okay. So, so really carefully watching, well, how do I feel like a victim? And, and how do I take my power back? So this is very interesting <laughs> to me because... There is truth, right? There, is, there are pesticides in the world. And then there's this whole brouhaha about 5G and EMFs and the impact. And I have a number of autoimmune family members. Um, so how do you, what kind of belief can you embrace where you're, where you're acknowledging the reality of pesticides, but you're not a victim. Okay, so you can start with the belief that you're hardy, that you, your body knows how to detox. It's doing it all day long. Um, and, and just affirm that to yourself. And, and, and then look for any beliefs that counter that, because and they might be in the unconscious mind. And, and if you get your conscious mind in a tug-of-war with your unconscious mind, you can pretty much guess who's going to win. Yeah. So, so you always want to be, you know, you want just knowing something your conscious mind doesn't usually get your life to change. It needs to, you need to get all the counter beliefs out of the unconscious mind um, at the same time. And, and, and there's a way to get into the unconscious mind and find these beliefs that hopefully we'll, we can get to. Um, so, so believing that you're hardy, believing that you can educate yourself about, organic foods and where these pesticides are and, and maybe be able to decrease your exposure to them. Um, but there's a, but there's an even deeper, um, knowing it's like, where does your true sense of safety come from? You know, we, we're living on a planet with no guarantees mm -hmm. and, and at the same time, we're hardwired to need to feel safe. And, and Maslow put that as our second need in, our, in the hierarchy of needs, right? So <clears throat> most people in my practice have skipped over that. Their, their sense of safety is based on an illusion. And, and that's not good enough of a foundation to build the rest of your life on. And so my belief is, our true sense of safety comes from our spiritual connection, connection to spirit. And it needs to be a real heartfelt connection, not a lip service connection. And, and that's the challenge. And, and then from that connection is where you get your self-confidence and you get your, your strength. And, um, and it's amazing what people's bodies can do when they've, got the right instructions inside or the right 
right consciousness coming through. Um, so, I mean, a really good example, Richard Moss was an MD years ago that had a spontaneous spiritual awakening and he went around the world studying traditions and he tells a story of how he was sitting at an ashram in India and the resident guru was giving a lecture on how we're not victims. We're not even victims of the environment. And he says, I'll show you. And he, he, he passed the hat and he says, put all the drugs you have on your person into this hat. You know, and this was the probably the late 70s, early 80s. So there was the whole hat was full of who knows what, LSD and, and all, you know, opioids, all kinds of things. And he says, watch this. And he took every pill in that hat. <laughs> And Richard Moss is freaking out, like, you're going to kill yourself. <laughs> you know? And so he sat with the guy for 24 hours, monitoring him medically, and didn't find any evidence that the guy had taken any drugs at all. His physiology, physiology didn't even change. So the question is, what does that guru know that we don't know? Right. So, you know? And if we knew, when he knew, then the pesticides wouldn't hurt us. So how is that possible even? Right. So I guess what I'm coming, what I want to come back to, because you said so much there. First of all, I want to make sure we go back to figuring out where to get the unconscious beliefs um, out of our mind. Yeah. But how do you help people or in your experience, how do you guide people to find real spiritual connections when they have not been religious, when they have not felt that, can you teach yourself okay. to feel that? You bet. Yeah. Um, religion and spirituality are not always the same thing. And, um, uh, you know, religion is basically, I think, a, a set of beliefs that everybody chooses to share. And, and so there's all kinds of different religions around the world. Uh, but there's really only one consciousness as far as I can tell. And so connecting to that one consciousness, I think, is, is spirituality. And my own opinion is that consciousness is to us like water is to a fish. And so it's in and around and through us all the time. But the question is, does the fish really know what water is? Right. And, you know, and... <laughs> And but with through the practice of awareness, and I think that's why mindfulness is so powerful. In practice of awareness, you sort of become aware of this sort of influence that you're immersed in. And it's like right now when I tune in, I can feel it. And um, and I think that every, that's there for everybody. It's kind of like the old idea of the ethers. You know how that space is is impregnated with this substance that, um, but I think it's consciousness. And um, so by helping people start to pay attention and learning how to pay attention to your body is a good place to start. Mm -hmm. So what, what are you feeling in your left knee? What are you feeling in your low back? What are you feeling in your shoulders? So, so you can move your awareness around in your body, just like moving a cursor on a computer screen. And, and just be aware of whatever sensation you're picking up. Um, and then the next step is to notice, well, every physical sensation has an emotional feeling associated with it. Right. And if you notice, every emotion is stored in your body somewhere. 
And so a, a physical feeling and an emotional feeling are really just two sides of the same coin. And, and so I teach my patients how to start to become aware of both tracks of information. So I'm aware of the physical, I'm aware of the emotional. And, um, and then, so, so the way to start to get in touch with your own inner knowing then, because your inner knowing I don't think lives in your mind. Um, because you have only one mind, so it's the conscious, dividing the conscious and the unconscious. But I think the inner knowing lives in your heart. And so once you notice something, then you can say, well, what would my heart say about that? Mm. And essentially what I see is over time, what people are able to do is, you know, we talked about the unconscious sort of just gets pre-programmed during that first seven years of your life. And then you just run all these algorithms after that. But imagine if your unconscious could get programmed with what your heart knows. And that's kind of what I see as the healing process right now is to get that old programming out and replace it with uh, new programming that's informed by your higher knowing. Wow. So, when you you had said earlier that there's a way to become aware of our unconscious beliefs, the counter beliefs that are holding us back, how how do we start to become aware of those? Well, one key, so the key I use the most are feelings. So, and I use a graphic like um, light shining through a lens and then how the lens bends the light. So the light going into the lens would be all the information coming into your mind. Um, so all the things you see, hear, taste, touch, smell, physical feelings from your body, uh, and also your thoughts, your conscious thoughts. And then that lens would be all the beliefs that we were just talking about. And psychologists call that your structure of interpretation. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's what interprets your uh, sensory input. And then what comes out the other side of the lens is how you feel about it. So you can become aware of your feelings and then you can see what the input was like, okay, so-and-so said this to me and this is how I felt about it. And, and you can work towards the middle and uncover what the belief was that, that like, it's like the belief spawned the feeling the the right. belief was the lens. And, and so you can start to uncover these deeply held beliefs by looking at the input and looking at the feeling and seeing what's in the middle. And it's a practice, um, and, and, and it takes practice, takes time to do it. But once you learn the skills, you can, you know, you're, you're having a constant river of feelings flowing inside you all the time. So there's plenty of information to work with. Right. <laughs> figure out what yeah, you're well, I, one thing that comes to mind is so maybe you have a teenage daughter, which I do. And the input is she is disrespectful and, you know, screams at you. And then you end up feeling... There are a couple ways you could, a lot of ways you could feel it. But if you come away feeling really, you know, righteous and angry, well, what do I believe? Then, well, maybe I believe that kids should be respectful and they should not blow up at their parents versus maybe, you know, it's okay. One of the beliefs that I, I know that I had to work on getting is, you know, it's okay for them to blow up. They're they have these transitory emotions and I'm a safe place. 
that's one of the things. Is that sort of what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and an, another thing is you can look the feeling right in the eye and say, okay, feeling, I see you. I acknowledge that you're here. Can you please take me to your roots? Mm. You know, when was the first time I felt that righteous indignation? Or when was the first time I felt whatever it is, you know, and, and then you get still and calm inside and see what your first impression is, see what rises mm. to your consciousness. And, and that takes a little practice too, to, start getting the answers when you ask the questions. But once you go back to the roots, there's two kinds of roots. One, it might take you directly to the belief. Or the other thing it might take you to is a memory of an earlier experience that you had. And and if you go back to that memory, then you say, okay, well, what was my take-home message from that experience? What conclusion did I draw from that experience? Because that's going to be the belief. So either way, you end up looking at the belief. But now you've uncovered this belief, what do you do? So, so the first block I see, the thing that interferes with most people's healing is they don't work with feelings correctly. They, they try to make the feeling itself change. And as you can see from that diagram, changing the feeling doesn't change anything about the lens or the circumstances that went into that lens, right? Right. So changing the, working to change the feeling never works to make lasting change in healing. And it just keeps people stuck. So, so that's the first mistake I see people making. And the second mistake is once they uncover the belief, then they want to jump in and get that belief to change. Like, oh, I should believe this, not that. Or I'm not that kind of person. I shouldn't believe that. You know? And then they're stuck again because they're denying their beliefs. So what we've found is if you can, once you uncover the belief, then again, you look the belief right in the eye. But you ask a different question. You say, okay, belief, this is, I've been holding you as if you were true, but what would my heart say about you? What, what would my heart say is a true belief here? And, and most of the time, that's enough to get that belief to shift. And it's, it's kind of like an aha moment. You know, when you had an aha moment, that's when a belief is changing inside. Yes. And, and after you've had that moment, you don't go back. The belief has changed. It's done. We've got this new insight, this new way of seeing the world. And and that's what we're after is how can you have lots of these aha moments every day as your beliefs shift and change. And and what I found is by just accepting your truth as it is right now, but then just asking your heart's opinion about it, that's what gets things to change. That's why I say, Self-compassion is the only thing I've ever seen change anybody's because getting in there and trying to force things to change with your ego mind doesn't work. And yet we do it. We do it for decades. We do it all the time uh-huh. in our society. We do. And yeah, and it's frustrating. People spend so much time and money and their life energy trying to improve themselves and they don't see real changes because they're just not getting deep enough they're not Mm -hmm. getting to those root beliefs and getting them aligned with higher truth yes that's the word i want how to do this work you know and that's why i wrote the book is because and i'm not a bookish person so it's sort of crazy i wrote a book because um but 
but I look at the self-help industry and I just see so many people putting their time and resources into things that are just too superficial. They're not, it's not going to get, they're not going to get the results they want, which is deep lasting alignment with their higher truth. Yes. And I love, I love this interview and your message because what, what you're doing is you're actually giving a very clear way to start to unravel what is in what is holding you back, which is your beliefs. I mean, it just becomes, and I'm working with people. I am, I've gotten to the point where we have to just go to the beliefs and none of the rest of it. Yes. We'd spend time teaching, learning about the feelings in the body and decoding that. And then what's going on below. So this is wonderful. Right. I had not tied it to actually physical healing. So this is groundbreaking. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being able to hear this. Yeah, it's really true. Yeah. Um, I didn't know it either, but years and years ago, I worked with a therapist who was, he was like the best therapist I've ever known. And most of his patients always hated him because he just called them on their stuff, you know. But his patients got physically better. And and it was as as he did his work with them psychologically. And, and so that's what got me really looking at this connection. But now there's just tons of research, too. There's so much research on uh, the connection, you know, the whole mind-body connection, and which I don't even use that word, mind-body connection, because to be connected, they have to be separate. <laughs> They're really not. They're just two ways of looking at the same thing. Right. Which we could maybe talk about later if you wanted. But um, so anyway, yeah. So it makes perfect sense to me that you can do physical healing by getting to know yourself better. Your true self. Yeah. Who are you in your heart? I love this. Okay. Well, unfortunately, we have to... Um, have to end now, but maybe I can have you back to talk more about this. Cause this is really, I think super helpful. I know so many people who are dealing with health issues that the Western medical establishment is sort of throwing up their hands at, you know, it's yeah. you know, autoimmune stuff. And I can see how this would help. So well, that's who I specialize. Specializing oh, people who've seen all the specialists and not, and I usually all the naturopaths and chiropractors too, and still haven't gotten help. So, uh, and this approach has helped them. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. So, that's awesome. Can you remind people what's the name of your new book where they can learn more about this and also find you? It's called The Seven Tools of Healing. Unlock your inner wisdom and live the life your soul desires. I think you can see why I picked that subtitle now. Mm -hmm. um, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. And, um, and then just the website, the7tools.com. Um, right now, the best way we have to help people actually really deeply learn these tools and integrate them into their life is a, a class we use to help people transform their relationship with stress. And I call it the Taming the Bear, Taking the Bite Out of Stress. And it's an online class. So anybody in the world can take it. And um, it's a 12-week course. 
but over that 12 weeks, you really learn how to practice and integrate these tools so they become second nature uh, in your life. Wow, that's great. And, uh, yeah, so all that information is at the website, the7tools.com. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this, for doing the work to get this awareness out in the world. And listeners, um, thank you so much for being here and showing up for yourselves. Until next time, go out and remember that you do hold the power to change and transform your world. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. 